are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I started reading a book called With, W-I-T-H, by Sky Jatani. And uh, that book has been helping guide this sermon series that we're in called With. And I've loved your responses to it. Um, I get emails, I get texts, I get uh, stopped in the hallway and people are saying, Pastor, I'm reading this book, and I really like Sky Jatani. And many people are talking about how that God is speaking to them through uh, this series and, and how we are really taking a good, honest look at our hearts and our relationship with God. He talks about how we substitute, use substitute forms of Christianity uh, instead of life with God. We, we, we try to settle for life maybe under God or over God or from God, and today we're going to talk about life for God. But, but it's substituting for what God wants us to have, and that's life with Him. So he tells a story about mentoring some university students. And he says, I was excited about spending time with them and kind of being a spiritual mentor to them. It was at a Christian college. They were volunteering, signing up for this journey. But he said, as I began to explore their practices of prayer and how they related to God, he said, I was dismayed. For many of them, they they didn't really know how to pray. I mean, they said to me, I don't know that I know how to pray. They, they, they could not point back to times in their lives when they had experienced God's presence. And they did not feel like they had a personal relationship with God. He said it was like nobody had ever told them or given them a vision of what life could be like with God. And so I wonder this morning if there's anybody who says, I I think I can relate a little bit. Rick, I want to know God. And and, and I want to feel His presence. And and I want to feel like I have a personal relationship with Him. And I want want God to to talk to me. I want God to, you know, lead me. And I want God to to guide me. I want to be close to God. But... But what you've been talking about these last few weeks, living life with God, I've never experienced that. I've never spent that much time in prayer. I've never felt like my heart was really aligned with God's heart. And I think what I've done is settled for a substitute form of Christianity. And for many in the church, the substitute form has been, I think I've just been trying to live for God. And so I think I have a question that will help us to kind of um, get to the heart of the issue this morning. I think it's a question that that, uh, we'll ask God by the power of His Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to dig down and to try to find the real answer to. And, And this is the question. 
Do, do you and I, and, I, and I've got we instead of I or you or me, I, I, I just think it's a question for all of us. Do we live for God, okay, because we want God, you with me now, or do we live for God because we want the reward? Do you understand what I'm asking? So, so do you live for God because you, you want God? Or do you live because, for God because you want, want the reward? So let me, let me just talk to you for a few minutes about it. I'll, when I say do we live for God, I'll, I'll make a list and you can make your own list, okay? But do I go to church and do I participate in group life and do I give in the offering and do I volunteer when asked and do I try to avoid sin, okay, and, and you might have another definition for living for God, but whatever yours is, so, so do I do all of those things because I really want God, I want, I want to know God, I, I want to experience God's presence, I want to have a personal relationship with God, I want God to lead me and guide me, I want to be close to God, or do I live for God? Do I do all of those things because I want to be sure I'll go to heaven when I die? There's some things that don't matter that much. This matters that much. I've got to get this right. Heaven has to happen. So what if I told you that you could have heaven now? Because that's what life with God is. Remember last week I asked you, isn't, isn't that the goal that one day we're going to leave this world and we're going to be with God forever, right? And so what if you could have heaven now? What if you could be with God now? I mean, what if God's kingdom could come in your life now? I mean, who among us don't want a little heaven on earth, right? No. So last week I told you a story, first part of a story. This week I'm going to tell you another part of the story, okay? The story is found in Luke chapter 15. If you want to open your Bibles, I'll be there in a minute. It's a parable. Remember, a parable is a story that illustrates a, a moral or a religious truth. Jesus is telling the story to, to illustrate a truth, all right? And so Jesus um, talks about the, 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 the prodigal son. So here's, let me just catch up if you weren't here last week or if you need a refresher. A man had two sons. The younger son came to his father and asked a very disrespectful favor. Would you give me my share of the estate now? I don't want to wait until you die. His father does it. And he takes his money, the young man does, and he goes to a far country and he wastes all the money in wild living and now he's broke and now there's a famine in the land. Okay? So life is really bad. And he hires himself out as a servant but he doesn't have enough to eat. He's hungry. And one day he thought to himself, now my father has a lot of servants, but all of them have plenty to eat. 
I'm going to go back home to my father and ask him to hire me as a servant. I'm not worthy to be a son. So he heads back home, but his father sees him from a long way off, runs toward him, opens his arm, hugs him, kisses him, and the son doesn't even get to make the speech. He says, you know, put a ring on his finger, sandal on his feet, a robe on his back, kill the fattened calf, let's have a party and celebrate my son who was dead is alive. Great story. Everybody's happy, right? No, not everybody's not happy. The fattened calf is not happy, let me tell you. But there's somebody else that's not happy, okay? And here's where we are in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and he asked him, what was going on? Hey, hey, what's going on in the house? What's with all the music and the dancing? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because... He has him safe and sound. Well, the older brother became angry. And he said, I'm not going in. And so his father went out to him. Just like the father went out to the younger son. And pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends but when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home you kill the fattened calf for him my son the father said you're always with me and everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because This brother of yours who was dead is alive again. He was lost and he is found. You ever remind yourself of the older brother? I went to a synagogue a few years ago because I had become friends with a man who was Jewish and he invited me to the synagogue. and, And so... It was a great experience. Um, it was educational, to say the least. And, and I said to my friend, do you think I could speak with a rabbi? And he said, I don't know. I'll ask him. It was kind of interesting to me, like every church I've ever gone to, if I wanted to meet the pastor, you know, the pastor was all glad to meet you, you know. But, but the rabbi finally kind of with a wave of his hand was willing. He said, okay. He pulls out a chair, he sits down. I took it as a sign that maybe I should pull out a chair and sit down. I did. We talked for a little bit, but not much. I asked him some questions. He had no questions for me. And, and finally, I thought I should wrap it up. And I said, just, just one other thing. I said, um, you know, without the temple and an animal sacrifice, How do you deal with your sin? In in other words, how how are your sins forgiven? So I know in, in my world, it's because of what Jesus has done on the cross that he provides forgiveness for my sins. And the rabbi says to me, 
by our good works. And, and I looked at him and he paused and then a slight grin comes across his face and he says, by our good works, my friend. By our good works. The question I have is, how good do your good works have to be to be good enough? I don't know. I mean, like, how, how good? How good is, is, a, is good enough? How good would you have to be? How much would you have to do, you know? What's, what's the standard? What's the measure? You know, would it be like I would ever stand at the back doors on a Sunday morning as you're walking out the door and say, you've been good enough. You, on the other hand, not good enough yet. You know, who judges? Who decides? I think it would have a negative impact on attendance eventually. You know? <laughs> so, if in the story, the father represents God... And, and the younger brother represents people who are kind of self-proclaimed rebellious and sinful. And the older brother then represents religious people who might seem somewhat self-righteous. Then I think what the older brother represents is a substitute form of Christianity that we would call, or that Jatani would call, life for God. Look at all I've done for you, Dad. I've slaved for you all of these years. I've never disobeyed you. Look at what I've done for you. But, but here's the problem. When, when we live life for God instead of with God, only to receive the reward, okay, if that's the motivation, then our value is determined by how good we are, Right? So if, if I'm living for God instead of with God, okay, only to receive the reward, that's my motivation, then my value is determined by how good I can be. So in other words, if I go to church, and if I participate in a group, and if I give in the offerings, and, and if I volunteer when asked, and if I try to avoid sin, then will one day I stand before God, and God look at me and say, well, Ricky... I think that was good enough. I, I, can't, I can't risk that. That's not going to be an option for me. So Jesus is not talking to the self-proclaimed rebellious sinful people. He's talking to Pharisees and teachers of the law at this point of the story who base their value on being good enough. And so I want to talk about something that's not fun to talk about, but I think we have to talk about it, and it's self-righteousness. And, and you hear it in his voice, don't you? I've slaved for you all of these years. I've never disobeyed you. But this son of yours, not this brother of mine, I don't identify with him, who has spent all of your money on prostitutes. And so what he does is he puts the other one down and he builds himself up. Right? 
And he does this comparing kind of thing. And so here's the deal. I'm going to base getting the reward one day on my goodness, but I'm either going to trump that, I'm going to compare it to somebody who wasn't very good. Do you ever find yourself in that world? Yeah, I know I messed up. But I haven't messed up as bad as that guy. I can't imagine basing my whole life and all of eternity on the fact that I've been a little better than a person who wasn't very good. So, I don't like the word, but we're talking about it, self-righteousness. It's not one of my favorite words. One of my favorite words is banana split. <laughs> True story. No. And banana split's not even one word. It's two words, but that doesn't discourage me from making it one of my favorite words still. And I guess both self-righteous and banana split is a phrase, but I don't do it often. A lot of calories in a banana split, but once in a while, I splurge. Probably not more than four or five times in an entire week, but <laughs> sometimes I do splurge. I don't know what it is about it, but there's something about three scoops of ice cream laying between a split banana swimming in three different flares of sweet syrup with salted peanuts and Cool Whip and a cherry on top that just kind of appeals to me. It screams my name for some reason. I don't know what it is about it. Yeah. So Annette and I were driving home not long ago. We'd been out of town and we were trying to get back home and, and uh, pulled in and got some gas. And, and I looked up and just like two businesses down from the gas station was a Dairy Queen. Isn't it amazing how things just work in mysterious ways in our lives? And so I said to Annette, as we're pulling away from the gas station, I'm going to get a Dairy Queen. And so I pull up into the drive-thru, and I'm so full of consternation in my spirit that I just kind of let the person on the other side of the intercom know my dilemma. And I said, listen, we're on a road trip. I'm driving. We want to get home. I don't want to stop I kind of want a banana split, but I'm driving. Is there any way you can put that in a cup? And so she says to me, that's called a banana split blizzard. Would you like one? I felt a little uninformed at the moment, but I, I do remember having eaten one in the past, and I said, sure. And so I got a banana split blizzard. We're driving down the road, and Annette says to me, how's your banana split blizzard? And I said... It's just not the same. I mean, it's good. Because when I eat a banana split, what I'd love to do is eat the pineapple and the cherry toppings first, and I save the chocolate for last. And even if a little bit of pineapple and cherry syrup get mixed in, chocolate is still dominant. And there's something about finishing with that rich, bold, dominant taste of chocolate. Do you know what I mean? That's the first amen I've heard from you in years, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And so I said to Annette, I feel like I've, I've, I've kind of settled. And if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it again. I would just 
pull over and stop and take the time to eat a banana split. But I think that's where this conversation is living. I really do. I think it's about settling. If, if I can't achieve life with God, then I'll just settle for life for God. I'll just, I'll just live for God. What, what is it that makes us settle? I stand here as your pastor and confess to you that there have been seasons in my walk with God when I settled for life for God. My prayer life was weak. My alignment was weak. But I was doing a lot of stuff for God. In fact, I think it was sometimes in the seasons when I was doing the most for God. And my attitude was probably something like this. Well, God ought to feel pretty good because he's getting a good end out of this deal. Because I'm doing a lot for him. We're accomplishing a lot at the church. Here's the problem. It's not what God wants. And it's not what God wants for you. And it's not what God wants for me. And you can't replace life with God for life for God. Okay, I know that my prayer life is, life is weak and I know that my heart is not aligned with God. But I'm just going to do some stuff for God and, and God ought to feel pretty good about it, right? He doesn't. His heart hurts for you. Because you've settled. And there's some rich, bold flavor that you're missing in life. L listen to the Father. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Do you understand this? I'm not going to give you the farm one day because you've been good. I'm giving you the farm because I love you. You can't earn the reward. It's a gift. And there's a gospel message wrapped up in this story that forgiveness of sins in heaven is not something we earn by our good works. It's something that God gives you and it's made possible because of what Jesus has done on the cross as we move into this holy week. And then you just hear the heart of the Father. All I've ever wanted for you and for your brother is to be with me. That's all I've ever wanted. And when Jesus tells us the parable, it's his way of saying, this is all that God has ever longed for in his relationship with you. He just wants to be with you. And he doesn't want you to settle for something less. So the bottom line is simply this. We cannot 
allow life for God to become a substitute for life with God. You remember Paul Harvey? Not related. But for all those years, and he died probably 15 years ago, he had a radio show and he would always end it, now you know the rest of the story. Good day. His name was actually Paul Arant. But Arant was not a good radio name. So he used his mother's maiden name, Harvey. I wish I could stand here and say to you today, and now you know the rest of the story. But you don't. Jesus doesn't give us the rest of the story. How does it end? We don't know. Does the son come to the party? Don't know. The story stops. It doesn't end. Because Jesus wants the people that he's speaking to to finish the story. He wants you and I to finish the story. What are we going to do? Will we finally come to a place where we say, God, I'll never be good enough. I need you. I just need my life with you. That's it. I need it so bad. So, Father, in this moment, I believe that you've been talking to us all morning, speaking, drawing, loving. And so, Lord, would you let us respond with the words of this song? And let it be our true heart's prayer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Altars are always open, praying is always appropriate. God's talking to you, responding to God is always best. Oh
said to me, I love praying this prayer together through this series, so let's pray together, shall we? In unison, will you pray with me? Father, from this moment and until we meet again, whether I am with others or alone, in joy or in sorrow, with great enthusiasm or with great exhaustion, may your grace enable me to let go of my fears. May I deeply know that you are with me and I am with you. Amen. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.